0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And again, we've been walking through the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want to look at, uh, in this particular session, I want to look at the idea of the heart. And then uh, what we'll do over the next uh, couple of sessions is want to work through the heart, the soul, and the might concepts. And uh, what's interesting is, uh, as I've been diving into this, uh, I guess in my mind I've come at it with a particular, oh, that makes sense to me, kind of an idea. But uh, w- as you get into the concepts, it's a lot deeper and richer than I would have ever thought it was. Um, so just want to read the Shema and just uh, set it before us this morning just so it's uh, in our minds. But again, here's what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 4 through 5, he says, Hear, O Israel, or listen, Shema, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And again, we've been walking through this So, just for some quick review. Uh, We've been talking about the fact that what Moses is giving the Israelites is a declaration all about an exclusivity of devotion. And he says, hey, listen to this. Not just hear a sound and nod along in agreement, but bring yourself under, uh, obey, come under the authority of, and actually begin to do this thing. And it's a reminder to say our God is one. That we, we do not, even though we're surrounded in a culture with a whole bunch of gods, we, O Israel, have one God. He is our God alone. So there's this exclusivity of devotion, and we are called to love that God with everything that you have and everything that you are. And uh, we've been looking at this idea of the love uh, over the last couple of sessions and just talking about this fact that isn't it interesting that whatever I give my heart to, uh, whatever I just make the center of my love, eventually I'll begin to worship that and eventually I'll become like that, which means then I will love it more and then I worship it more and then I become like it more. And there's this interesting progression in this idea of love. Which means we really must be guarded with what we give our hearts to, uh, with what we give our love toward. And so, in the passage, Moses says that you are to love the Lord your God with all. And the first one is your heart. And I, I don't, I don't know what you think of when you hear "love the Lord your God with all of your heart," uh, but there is a whole bunch of like modern uh, conceptions with the idea. Uh, in other words, I hear heart, and I think, oh, emotions or feelings. Uh, we, we have the idea even of desires, uh, that, that I, I made that decision with my heart, which in our thinking, in our, in our modern context, is often still derived by emotion and feeling. And, and while that is a part of the Jewish concept of heart, you're missing a whole oomph of the idea of heart. Uh, the word heart... <clears throat> Uh, when, when you look at it in the in the Hebrew, it's the word love or uh, la lev, I think it's leviv, Levev or lev, and the word heart shows up over two hundred times in the Hebrew. And what's interesting is, though it includes the emotional stuff, uh, it's far beyond that. In fact, when you get into the idea of heart, your heart is a part of your will. It's a part of your emotions. It's a part of the conscience. And ironically, it's a part of your your mind. So when you say heart, you're talking will, mind, emotions, your desires, all that kind of stuff is wrapped up in the idea of heart. Uh, As some Hebrew scholars have pointed out, there is no Hebrew word for the word brain. Isn't that interesting? Uh, That when they were going to talk about the mind, there is a word for mind, but when you typically think of the word mind and the thought process and the understanding and wisdom and intellect, you use the word heart. Because all of that is associated here in the very center, the essence of your being. So, what I thought I'd, what I just thought would be fun this morning uh, is to give you a whole bunch of Bible passages. And I know that as a preacher, you're not supposed to do this. Because uh, when you just give a whole list of Bible passages, people get lost. And, but you guys are smart. At least a couple of you. So, just kidding. <laughs> so, I, I want you to think with your heart this morning. I want you to ponder and understand and have wisdom. And I want you to grab a hold of this idea. And I, I want to give you a few passages. We're not going to read all 200, don't worry. Uh, but I want to give you a bunch of passages talking about the different aspects of the heart that's found in the Old Testament or just the understanding biblically of the word heart. And so, we're just going to fly through these. Uh, so, if you want references, you'll have to write them down quickly or come back later or ask me or whatever. Uh, But here's here's what the idea of heart is in the mind of an Israelite. So when Moses says the word heart, this is what he's talking about. So as I mentioned, it involves your emotions, which obviously is how we think of heart. Uh, But for example, there's this idea of fear. In Deuteronomy 128, it says, where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt. And that phrase, that melting of the heart is used to speak of fear. And talking about the Anakim and the giants in the land, hey, when they they talked about that, oh, our hearts melted. We were full of fear. Our hearts were gripped with this emotion called fear. Or there's this idea of sorrow in the heart. Uh, For example, Psalm 13, verse 2 says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Or there's this idea of joy in the heart, this emotion. So Proverbs 17, says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit drives up the bones. Or Isaiah 65, verse 14 says, Behold, my servants will shout joyfully with a glad heart. So God's saying, hey, my servants will have a glad heart, but you will cry out with a heavy heart, and you will well with a broken spirit. So you start to notice that there are all these emotions that can be associated uh, with the heart. But again, it goes beyond just the emotion stuff hearts can be deceived. And so we are, we are told in Deuteronomy 11, 16, beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. And here's one from the New Testament, but James reminds us in James 1, if anyone thinks to be righteous and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So, the heart that is a place of emotion, the heart is a place where it can be, or the heart can be deceived. The heart is the place where you think and reason in the ancient world. So you do not think in your mind, you think in your heart. Uh, For example, example, Deuteronomy 15, 9, says, Beware that there is no base thought in your heart, saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile toward your poor brethren, and you give him nothing, and he may cry out to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. So, Moses is saying in Deuteronomy 15, he says, when, when you're looking at this idea that at the end of the seven years, you're going to, rest, you know, it's, you're going to restore things back to the people, don't be reasoning in your heart. Oh, I, I can take advantage of this, or I don't have to do as much. So there's this idea of reasoning that's happening in the, in the, in the heart. Deuteronomy 18 says, You may say in your heart, How will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? In other words, you're processing, your are reasoning. Where's that happening? In the heart. Or 1 Samuel 9, 19, Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your... Now, some translations say mind, but it's the Greek, or sorry, the Hebrew word heart. So I'm going to tell you everything that's in your heart heart, or that's on your mind. Uh, Psalm 4.4, 4, it says, Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. So again, you're, you have this idea, and there's a whole bunch of these, where you think and you reason from this place called the heart, which makes sense that it then becomes the place of wisdom. So if I'm thinking and I'm reasoning from this location called the heart, well, then it becomes the place of wisdom. Job 9.4 says, Wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has defied him without harm? So where are you wise at? In the heart. Or Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Or Proverbs 14.33, which says, Wisdom rests in the heart of one who has understanding, but in the hearts of fools it is made known. Uh, the heart is a place of understanding. So 1 Kings 3.9 says, So give your servant an understanding heart. This is, this is Solomon asking God. He says, Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon says, God, I, I need a heart that's able to understand and able to judge properly. Uh, Proverbs 2.2 2 says, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Uh, The heart can also be the place, or it can uh, can either be pure or it it can be evil. So as you're looking at scriptures in the Old Testament, there's this idea that there's a purity of heart. For example, Psalm 24, 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Or Psalm 119, verse 7, talks about the righteousness of a heart saying, I shall give thanks to you with an uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. But it's also a place where evil can dwell. So Psalm 28.3 says, Do not drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Or Psalm 101.4 says, A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. A uh, heart is also a place of courage. This interesting. There's a lot happening in the heart, uh, so it's a place of courage. So Psalm 31:24 says, "Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord." Uh, the heart is also a place of imagination or the place of desire. It's where you crave things, and we we do have this kind of in English. Uh, this, the, it's the place of desire, a passion. Uh, but Psalm 73:7. Says their eye bulges from fatness, their imaginations of their heart run riot. Or 1 Samuel 14, uh, this is Jonathan's armor bearer saying to Jonathan, He says, Do all that is in your heart, turn yourself, and here I am with you according to your heart. And he uses the word twice in the passage. Uh, In this uh, translation, it's heart and desire. But hey, do all that is in your heart, do all that's just according to your passions and your delight. And here I am, and I will do also with you according to your heart. Proverbs 6.25, uh, speaking of that adulterous woman, says, do not, let, or, do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. In other words, w- where does those passions reside? Where does that desire reside? It- it's your heart. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So again, the heart's a place of desire and passion and imagination. It's also a place where sin and pride reside. So in Psalm 95, verse 10, it says, For 40 years I loathe that generation and said they are a people who err in their hearts and they do not know my ways, says the Lord. Or Psalm 101, verse 5, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. So obviously it's possible then that the heart is the place that holds the sin and in the, in the pride of life, at least in a conceptual sense. So here's the concept. When you get to this idea of heart in the Hebrew, the whole concept is that the very center and the essence of your entire life is found here. If you just want one great passage, Proverbs 4.23, which says, watch or guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Do you realize that it is from your heart that the springs of life issue? That, that it is from this place that you, that you think this is the, how you feel, this is your emotions, this is where you reason, this is where your courage is at, this is where pride resides, this is the sinful thing, this is, I mean, all of this is associated with your heart. Why? Because this is the very essence, the very depth of your very being. Uh, one scholar summarized it this way. He said, The heart is the seat of the intellect, the will, and intention. You think in your heart, and your heart shapes your character, your choices, and your decisions. It is also the center of the human being as a moral agent. In other words, it's your your conscience. So isn't it interesting, when when Moses comes to the Israelites and says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might— He doesn't include the mind, but it's presumed because it's a part of the heart. Which then begs an interesting question. Why did Jesus add mind in Mark's gospel? So in Mark chapter 12, listen, Jesus is asked, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, foremost is, hear, O Israel, he quotes the Shemal, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind— and with all of your strength. Why, why does Jesus add mind to the Shema? So when someone says, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, oh, you already know that. It's the Shema. And he quotes the Shema. He actually adds something to it. Isn't that fascinating? So why did Jesus add the mind? And this is speculation, but this, this totally makes sense to me. You realize that specifically Mark's gospel is written to a Roman world Right? Mark very specifically is writing to the pagans, right? The Roman world. And he says, look, Jesus and, and even the Jewish culture at this time has been influenced by Greek and Roman thought process. So, you know, you go to the 300s BC, Alexander the Great comes in, conquers the known world, gives Greek, gives, gives the whole world the Greek language. And in the midst of this Greek language, do you know what is the most important thing in the mind of a Greek? The mind. The whole thought process, the intellect, the understanding, the reasoning, that is what is central in the life of a Greek. To a Jew, it's the heart. And so it's interesting that this Greek and Roman philosophy that had so infiltrated the world, here is Jesus talking, saying, you know what the greatest commandment is? He must be central. You must love God at the very center of your being. And so even though it would have been presumed in a Jewish context, Jesus adds in the mind to make sure they don't miss the fact that we're not just talking emotions, we're talking everything. And that just makes sense to me. You, you could deal with that however you want to deal with that. <clears throat> Here's the question. We are called to love God with all of our heart. And the word all, by the way, in Hebrew, you, you want to know what the word all in Hebrew means? Yeah, it means all. It actually means complete, totality, entire, There's nothing left out, is the idea. So you you are called to love God with the completeness, the entirety, the allness of your heart, which isn't just your emotions. It's not just your feelings. It's your mind, your will, your emotions, all that's contained in the heart. And Moses is reminding us, saying, hey, you are to love God with everything that you are. Here's the question. How can we do that? How is it possible for us to love God with everything? And though we could probably come up with quite a long list, I want to give you just three quick ideas this morning, just three practical things of how we can love God with all of our heart. And the first one's going to sound a little bizarre, but number one, it's to recognize that your heart is deceitfully evil. Uh, We are reminded several times throughout the Old Testament that our heart's are inherently wicked, that because of sin, because of the entrance of, of the fall of humanity, our hearts are not as they should be. And so if I'm called to love God with all of my heart, I have to start with the fact and realize that my heart is not as it should be. In essence, I can't love God with all of my heart. Listen to just a couple of verses. Jeremiah 17 says this in verse 9 and 10. Jeremiah says the heart is more deceitful than everything else and is desperately sick. Uh, Some translations say wicked. It's desperately wicked. It's desperately sick. It's desperately, it desperately has a problem. So who can understand it? And God says, I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test the mind. And what's interesting in that word mind there, it's not thinking about your intellectual brain, mind, it actually is the, it's literally the word kidneys. not that awesome? <laughs> so I think with my heart and my kidneys, praise the Lord. It's just like all the body parts that don't have nothing to do with thinking. But the idea was, is that in the middle of your gut, right? Often talking about your kidneys or your intestines, uh, this is the seat of your emotions. Uh, th- this, this was your reasoning uh, that, that, you know, when you feel checked in the spirit and you're, you know, you're making these key decisions and you, uh, I feel it in the gut, it's, it's that idea. And so, so God is saying, look, I'm, I'm searching your heart, and I'm testing your kidneys, <laughs> which is just hilarious, uh, which includes all the mind kind of stuff. So it, it's, it's, it's a good translation. I just, I just think that's just delightfully fun. I don't know. But do you hear what Jeremiah is saying? Jeremiah is saying, do you recognize? This is God speaking to Jeremiah. Do you recognize that your heart is deceitful? And the whole idea of deceitful is, it's scheming. It's, it's decei- you, uh, you are being duped by your own heart. Because we go, oh, I'm totally fine. I'm good. And God's like, no, no, your heart is deceiving you. You are reasoning within yourself, thinking you are fine, when all along your heart is wicked. Have you ever noticed that? Have you, have you actually been awakened to the fact that, that you may say, "You know what, this I'm doing and this I'm doing and this I'm doing?" Yeah, it's, to- it's not a big deal. It's not hurting anybody. It's totally fine. Nobody's going to know about it. I just it's all good. But it's, it's the deceitfulness of our hearts telling us that we can do whatever we want and whatever we please and whatever we take pleasure in, not realizing that it's actually bringing destruction. And if you are going to love God with all of your heart, you need to start to realize that you can't trust your heart. Because it's wicked. It's deceitful. It's scheming against us. Why? It's full of sin. Uh, a chapter later, in Jeremiah 18, verse 11 and 12, Thus says the Lord, O oh, turn back each of you from his evil way, and reform your ways and your deeds. So the Lord's saying, hey, repent, come back. But listen to the response that they give God. But they will say, it's hopeless, for we are going to follow our own plans, and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. God says, do you know know what I desire? I desire that you repent. I desire that you return. I desire that you give me your heart. And what have you said? No. No. I'm just going to do whatever my heart plans. I, I'm going to live to the intent of my own heart and the stubbornness of the evil within, <clears throat> within it. And we could look back at ancient Israel and go, oh, those horrible people. But folks, we do the same thing. James one twenty six. I read this earlier, but just again, listen to this. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue... He deceives his own heart, and that man's religion is worthless. It's interesting that James is putting this in the context of religion. That here you are, I want to be religious, I I want to be really spiritual. And yet James says, okay, you may think you're really spiritual, and you may think you're really religious, and hey, I go to church every Sunday, and I, I pay the preacher $50, right, and all those important things that we're supposed to do. Okay, maybe not the last one, but you know, I I go to church and I pay my tithes and I you know I have fellowship. But do you realize that there's a life that must be lived? And though you may say you're a Christian, if you're not living the inward life, then you're actually deceiving yourselves. That you have the the lip service of Christianity, but the life isn't there. Isn't that scary? And if I'm going to really love the Lord my God with all of my heart, I must recognize that my heart is deceitful. That my heart may be like, yes, I love the Lord with everything, but then it's going to go off and indulge in something over here. So I can't actually trust my heart. And all this really brings us, oh, to this idea of Proverbs 14, 12, And I love this verse. Listen to this afresh in light of all this. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That we reason with our own hearts, and we say, hey, yes, this is what I want to do. This will give me pleasure. This will just delight me. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is really spiritual. And yet, it just leads to death. Because I should not be reasoning within myself what is right and what is wrong. So what hope do we have? Well, Scripture actually gives us the answer, and it's this idea. I need to, if I'm going to love God with everything, one, I need to recognize that I have an evil and deceitful heart. But two, because I have an evil and deceitful heart, number two, I need a circumcision or a transformation of the heart. So because my heart is wicked, because my heart is full of evil, God's going to have to do heart surgery and actually deal with the issue of my heart so that there would be actually a purity of my heart. And that he would actually remove the chaff and remove that fleshly part of it and and remove that selfishness that so just grips my heart, my mind, my emotions, my desires. So listen to what uh, Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says. Moses, as he's getting to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, is reminding the Israelites, look, you're about to enter into our land, But you desperately need to love the Lord your God. That's been a big theme all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. And listen to what Moses says. He says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul so that you might live. It's a powerful passage. Moses says, do you know what you need? What you actually need is a circumcision of your heart. That God needs to do a work within your soul that actually removes that selfishness and that deceitfulness and that evil and the pride and the sin that so easily entangles our hearts. And and why is God needing to circumcise our heart? Why does he need to remove that fleshly part of our heart? Oh, it's so that we would actually love the Lord our God with all of our heart. And there seems to be this concept in the passage that you can't fully love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul unless you've had a circumcised heart, unless he transforms the inner part of your being, unless he transforms your your mind, your will, your emotions, your desires, your heart, then it's actually impossible for me to love the Lord my God. And interestingly, the reason he needs to circumcise my heart so that I can love him with all my heart and my soul is so that I might live. Live. And life is contained in the passage because of the circumcision of the heart. Do you realize you need heart surgery? And the only way that you can properly love the Lord your God as we are called to, as I hope we all desire to, is he has to do a deep work within us first. Uh, In Psalm 51 verse 10, this, this was David's plea, right, after the whole Bathsheba thing. But what if we made this our own prayer, and our own cry. He says, Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. That, that here is David. He, he's confronted with the reality of his sin and the deceitfulness of his heart and the wickedness of his inner life. And he cries out to the Lord, Lord, w- would you give me a clean heart? Would you purify this? Would you transform my inner life? What if we made that our prayer? And says, God, I genuinely want to love you with everything that I have and everything that I, everything that I am and art. That's not good grammar. But everything that I am and everything that I have. And, but, Lord, the only way I can properly do that is you've got to give me a clean heart. That you, you have to purify this heart so that that heart then can be fully given over to loving you. And Ezekiel, listen to what God says through the prophet Ezekiel. There's this promise that is coming that's fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And it says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And Ezekiel's prophesied and he says, do you, do you realize that there's coming a day when God's going to do something so radical? He's going to take your deceitful, wicked, hard, stone-like heart and he's going to replace it with something different. A soft, malleable, fleshly kind of heart. And he's speaking of the coming of the Messiah and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the reality of the cross. And Do you realize we need this? And the only way that I can properly love God with everything is, yeah, I, I got to recognize that my heart's going to deceive me and it's overwhelmingly wicked and evil within me, but that demands I need a Savior. It demands I need Him. It demands that, that I have a heart surgery where He transforms the inner part of my very being so that I can love Him. And I don't think that's just a one-time operation. Because I think the reality of, of our hearts, it's, it's so deceitful that if we're not on guard, which is I think why we're called to guard our hearts, but if we're not on guard with our hearts, it is so easy for the things of this world to just woo our hearts from the one true love. And there's that sanctification process where It's like God wants to just ever increasingly deeper and deeper and deeper and greater and greater to change our hearts and make us more fit and more pure and more ready to serve and love him with everything. Do you have that? I mean, do you have a transformed heart? Are you allowing him to continue a work, of transformation so that there's a purity of heart so that you can love him with everything, so that you might live? And a third idea, really quick, is if you're going to love God with all of your heart, then you need to realize that you need to choose daily to be faithful and devoted to God with everything, which is the whole point of the Shema. When you go back into the Shema, the whole idea of the Shema was that it was the thing that we would say every morning, say every evening, say at every Sabbath, is the thing that we would tie upon our foreheads and put upon our arms and hang upon our doorposts and and this, hey, we'd remind our children, and this would be the constant annunciation of our lives. Well, what is it? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And that means I need to choose every single day to give God everything. That there is a choice in this, where it's not just, well, you know, my, my emotions are there, and I, ooh, I feel the goosebump. Oh, I love God with everything. What if I just chose to love God with everything? I'm not married, but I've heard that the great marriages, whether you feel like or not, you choose to love them, which makes sense, because it's a covenant. And if you remember, when we are talking about love, this is a covenantal kind of love, that it's not based on how you feel, it's not based on your mood, it is not, it's not based on what is going on around you, that this covenantal kind of love is a determination of your soul that says, regardless of how I feel or what I think, I am choosing this day to love my God with everything. So would you love God with all of your heart? Not not just your emotions, but we're talking about your heart. Meaning your mind, your will, your emotions, your desires, your intentions. In other words, we're talking about a total devotion unto the Lord. Do you have that? Have you truly given God all of your mind, your will, your emotions, your desires, your affections, your intentions? Does he have your heart? Is he renewing your heart? Let me just give you one final passage. Deuteronomy 4, 29. Uh, Right before the Shema, Moses says this, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And the writer of Hebrews says the same thing. That God is not purposely trying to hide himself. You will find him if you diligently seek him with all of your heart. Could I encourage us this morning to go after Jesus? Could I encourage us to say, Lord, I want want to love you with all of my heart, which includes my mind, my will, my emotions, my affections, all that stuff. I know that. But Lord, I, I want you to have it all. But Lord, I'm not as I should be. That, that there are these things in this world that pull on the heartstrings that I actually desire and I love all those other things other than you. So Lord, could you somehow do a surgery of my heart and cut every tie and every heartstring that is not Jesus? And could you just so overwhelmingly fill me with such a love for you that's not based on emotion, it's based on a covenantal decision. But Lord, could I love you with everything that I am? Would you have that plea and that cry this morning? Let's pray. Lord, oh, we, maybe this is for nobody else, but I desperately need you. Lord, our, our world is so wrapped up in beeps and buzzes and noises and dings. And, and we, we seem so distracted by everything but you. And it seems like culturally, even in the church, we have given our hearts to everything but you. And our minds, our wills, our emotions, our desires, our affections, our intentions, our focus is not on you. And though we may give you lip service, Lord, the reality is our heart is not yours. Lord, would you remind us that our hearts are deceitful? That it is possible for us to say, "Ah, I love Jesus with everything and even attend church and go through all the religious stuff, and yet our hearts are not actually towards You. Lord, through Your Holy Spirit, could You put Your finger on anything in our hearts that is misdirected or misfocused or that crave anything but You or is thinking anything but You? Lord, somehow could You just reveal the fact that we need You to do deep heart surgery in our souls. Lord, would you take our minds? Would you take our emotions? Would you, would you take our desires? Would you take our intentions of our hearts? And would you so purify them? Would you so transform them? Lord, would you cut the heartstrings of anything and everything that's not of you? And Lord, could you just give us such an overwhelming desire to love you with everything? That as Moses reminded the Israelites in the Shema that there was a decision that needed to be made to, to love you regardless. Lord, could we have that totality of devotion, that exclusivity of devotion towards you? Lord, may we be willing to lay aside anything and everything and just fully pursue you with everything that we are. Lord, take our hearts. Would you consecrate our hearts? Would you, would you circumcise our hearts and remove that fleshly, selfish, prideful, evil part of our hearts that only leads to death. And may in the midst of our purity of heart, may we fully go after you. We do love you, Jesus. Oh, and oh to love you more. We pray all this in your holy and precious and very powerful name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.